had this like really palpable sense of like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for some things I don't usually think about every day, right? This kind of weighty sense of the ground. I'm thankful for the ground. I'm thankful for gravity. I'm thankful for oxygen, right? And after seeing uh, Sandra Bullock and those characters flipping through space and weightless and all this stuff for two hours straight, I, I, I felt like her. I felt like I kind of wanted to grip the ground. You know, I kind of wanted to hug it myself and just be thankful for it. Um, let me move back a little bit to the feedback. Uh, and, and so I, I love that because it gave me that sense, at least for a brief moment, it was like I realized how thankful I am for some of those things I don't often even think about. Things that when you really think about it, we can't live without, right? Um, and so as we think about the mercy of God tonight, this is the last talk in this series, we're thinking about the mercy of God, I kind of feel the same way. Because I feel like it's just one of those aspects of God that we just sort of assume is a given. We, we don't give it much thought, and I know I really take it for granted. And, and it makes sense, because we, when we think about the, the mercy of God, we usually think things like, well, why do I need God's mercy? Right? I haven't done anything that bad. And besides, isn't that just the way God is? I mean, isn't God just loving all the time to all people anyway? So kind of what's the big deal? But, so if we think about God that way, it makes sense that God's mercy wouldn't be a big deal. And yet the Bible gives us a completely different picture of God's mercy. And, and I think that if, when we get a glimpse of what God's mercy really is, it changes the way we think about God. We start to realize we can't live without mercy. I mean, it's... The Bible says God's mercy is more fundamental to us than the ground, than gravity, than oxygen, all these things that we can't live without. And so I think when we really get a glimpse of God's mercy, we won't yawn at it. We'll be in awe of it. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to just share with you four truths that really stick out to me as I looked into God's mercy. And I think it will help us, at least it helps me, not to take God's mercy for granted. Um, we see that it's something we can't live without, right? So, first of all, God shows mercy constantly. That's the first thing I saw, is that God shows mercy constantly. You know, again, the movie Gravity reminds me how much I need those things like the ground, gravity, oxygen, those things. But, but it doesn't tell us where those fundamental necessities of life come from, right? And we tend to all think in just kind of naturalistic terms, materialistic terms, well, that's just the way the universe is. The earth's this way. It's always been this way. Why would it be anything else, right? But the Bible gives a very different perspective. It says that these things aren't just a given. The Bible says that not only did God create this universe and this beautiful world that we live in, but that God cares for it constantly, and he sustains it. So he's not the uninvolved God of deism who kind of winds up the universe and sets it in motion and walks away to watch it. The Bible says that God is intimately involved with his creation and constantly showing us mercy through it. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says this. He says, he, meaning God, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what Jesus is saying here is that the things that we experience every day, right, things we don't even think about, these are all mercy to us. Jesus says that the sun shining on us is mercy. 
the rain coming to us when we need it. It's mercy. So if you think about it that way, how has God shown you mercy today? Well, you woke up, right? And he gave you light to see by and amazing eyes with muscles and lenses that work to capture that light. You, you needed lungs. I mean, you needed oxygen when you woke up, and so God gave you lungs and oxygenated air to breathe. You wanted to get out of bed, and so God allowed your brain to send signals to your muscles and fire things in your muscles that caused them to contract, and lo and behold, you got up, right, <laughs> and walked. God gave you warmth from the sun so you wouldn't freeze. He gave you food and a body, not only that could digest the food, but could actually enjoy the food, right? You get the point. We enjoy all these things, these good things, and we receive them from God constantly. Of course we all take them for granted. We all do that. And yet, if these things are all because of God's mercy, all these things that we can't live without, well, that that means God's mercy is a bigger deal than we think. Why would God show us this kind of mercy? What's he up to? Acts 17, 25 through 27 says this. It says, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Romans 2.4 puts it this way. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why is God so kind? Why is he showing us so much mercy? Why is he giving us all these incredible gifts every day that we don't even realize? Why? Because God wants us to seek him. God wants us to find him. But why do we call this mercy? You know, why, why, why not just call it God's goodness? Why say it's his mercy? Well, we call it God's mercy because the verse says that God shows it to those who actually don't have a right to it. That's what's kind of weird and amazing. And that's the second thing about God's mercy we're going to look at tonight. The second thing is that God shows mercy to those who are evil. You know, we don't usually think about it that way. Um, but, but that's what Jesus says. He says that's why it's called mercy. In Luke six thirty-five through 36, Jesus says this. He says, God, he, meaning God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So he's talking about mercy. And as, as the prime example, exhibit A, he says, look at God. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. See, that's, in the Bible's perspective, that's what's so amazing about grace. That's what takes the yawn out of, why are we talking about God's mercy? That's what take, gives us the awe, is realizing that the reason the Bible thinks it's so amazing is because there's this vast contrast between what we get, you know, what God gives us, and what we truly deserve. See, Jesus says that we are those ungrateful and wicked ones, and yet God is continually kind to us. It's his mercy because he's not treating us as we deserve. He's giving us good things to those who have forfeited. But see, it's more than just this continual provision of good things that, that's involved in God's mercy. I mean, yes, those everyday things are God's mercy, but it becomes particularly striking when you think about God's special mercy of forgiveness that he bestows on those who believe in him, right? It's a special mercy the Bible calls salvation, and he offers it to everyone, but it's only given to those who receive it through faith. It's, it's an incredible 
mercy, if you think about it, that he would shower us with all these everyday gifts, but that God would take those who are ungrateful, for even those everyday gifts, and those who are wicked, and want us, want to be in a relationship with us, that is hard to believe, frankly. Notice how in Ephesians chapter 2, there's this great chapter about our salvation, this great chapter about God's mercy, and it starts off, though, talking about why we need God's mercy so desperately. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, doing what? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, it goes on to talk about God's mercy. So the Bible is saying that we forfeit God's mercy. How? How have we done that? What this passage tells us is that we forfeit it each day in the hundreds of ways that we don't love him best, right? We don't worship him only. We don't live for him each moment. We're not grateful for the gifts he gives us. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't care for his creation around us well. See, each of us has rebelled against God, following our own ways, right? Doing our own things. And so God says, we deserve nothing but his wrath. And yet, God says he's rich, very rich in mercy. Um, there's really not a scene in a movie that I can think of that shows a better picture of this to me than Les Mis. Um, yeah, as Ryan gets the lights. I love this scene. This is from the, the newest uh, version of it. I think it was 2012. So it's a musical. Hope you can bear with the musical. Check it out. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Stay there! Ugh. 
Monsignor. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for seen the movie so Jean Valjean uh, Hugh Jackman's character he's a convicted uh, uh, he's a criminal and so he's out on the street the priest invites him in you know and while he's showing him this hospitality she gets up in the middle of the night and um, steals all his most expensive uh, candlesticks and things like that the silver in the house goes out gets caught and then you saw the end of the scene there um, but why why is that scene so surprising and so powerful um, I think it's because it's not a, at all what we would expect. I mean, after everything that Valjean has done, we would expect the priest would turn him over to the authorities, right? Give him what he deserves. That's what we expect. And yet, instead, the priest shows him mercy. You know, it's completely undeserved. It's very unexpected. But the priest shows him mercy. So in a very real way, see, when it comes to our relationship with God... We are Jean Valjean, right? That's the point of, of that musical. And that's, so, that's exactly what the Bible says as well. We've been ungrateful for his constant kindness, God's hospitality to us in this world, if you will, and rebelled against his desires for our lives. And yet, how does he respond to us? He offers us mercy. So the first thing was that God shows mercy constantly. The second thing is that he shows that mercy to those who are evil and the third thing we see is that God shows mercy at great cost. Now, this is really different than the way we usually think about God's mercy. So we, we just assume, right, in our culture that God is sort of just that grandfather in the sky. He can sort of just wink at sin. It's easy for him just to automatically forgive. It's his nature. What's the big deal? He can overlook it, right? But that's not the way mercy really works, is it? See, when someone has mercy on someone... It's because the person needing mercy is actually in debt to them. They owe them something, right? I mean, think about it this way. If one of my sons is throwing a, their football in the living room, um, which I've told them many times not to do, if they're doing that and they break our TV, 
I'm happy to forgive them, right? I can forgive them. But someone still has to bear the cost of that. And I can tell you right now, my son's allowance ain't going to do it, right? So I have to bear that cost, right? Have mercy. That's the way mercy works. And see, in the Old Testament, when God reveals himself as the merciful God, that's exactly what he shows us. That's exactly how he says mercy works. Which, by the way, never believe that, like, the God of the New Testament is, you know, the God of mercy and the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath. Because actually, the Old Testament talks far more about the mercy of God even than the New Testament does. It's amazing. And he shows us, he shows us that in a picture. So... What God says in the Old Testament is that in order for him to live with a rebellious people like us, he has to make a covenant with us, and then he has to pledge with that covenant and say, if you or I, either of us, break this relationship, he says, I'm going to be the one to bear the cost. Let me show you what I mean. There's a picture of it in the covenant he makes with Abraham in Genesis. So this is right off the bat in the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. God makes this covenant with Abraham. What he does is he causes Abraham to fall into this deep sleep, and he gives him this vision. And so here's the vision he has in Genesis 15. He says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, the pieces of animals that were torn apart in this covenant ceremony they were having. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So I know that's like hard for us to get our minds around, right? It's a totally different world. Covenant. You know, torn animals, what in the heck's going on, right? But what it was, was this was the way covenants were made, like the way treaties were made between nations back then. And so the two parties who were agreeing to a covenant would come together. They would cut these animals in half, lay them on, on the side, and they would walk through them together, take turns walking through them. And by walking through these cut-up animals, what they were saying was, if I break this covenant, may it be to me just as this happened to these animals, all right? So the reason this was so shocking is that God, in the form of this, this vision of this fire pot, he's the one that walked through the middle. Abraham didn't. Abraham was asleep. He wasn't doing anything. God said, if you or I break this covenant, which God can never break it, so what he meant was, Abraham, when you break this covenant, guess who's going to bear the cost of this? I am. I am. God would tear himself apart. He would suffer so that we have mercy. Well, of course, we see the ultimate expression of that at the cross, right? At the cross, we get the best picture of how not cheap God's mercy is, but how very costly it is. God can't just overlook sin. He wouldn't be just. We wouldn't want a God like that. There'd be no hope for justice in this world if God was like that. He can't just forgive sins easily. It's not that way. He's a just, holy God. God absorbs the cost, see? He pays the cost in Jesus. And that's what Romans 8.32 says. It says, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear the first part of that? God did not spare his own son. If there's anything he, he would have wanted to spare, it would be his son, his only son. And yet God didn't spare his son. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, it costs God nothing, so far as we know, to create nice things. The universe, right? He created it out of nothing. But to convert rebellious wills costs him crucifixion. It's so incredibly costly to God. And that's why it should be so incredibly valuable 
to us. In, in the Les Mis story, right, the priest didn't, didn't buy Valjean's soul with cheap things. No, it was, the, it was the most expensive things of the house. It was the silver, you know. And that's the same way it is with God. He gives us his most costly gift, Jesus, to buy our souls for God. So we've seen that God shows his mercy constantly. We've seen he shows it to those who are even evil. And we've also seen that it comes at great cost. The last thing we see is that God shows his mercy infinitely. So here's the thing, right? Is once you've um, been in the Christian life for a while, and once you realize you need God's mercy and, and, and need it and cry out for it, right, there's a different problem that comes up, right? You live your Christian life long enough, all of a sudden you're starting to see a lot of sin in your life. You're starting to be exposed to a lot of ways that you're not like God, right? I'm not like God. And so now we get to this crisis of belief point, right? Where the question becomes, is God's mercy really strong enough, really big enough for me? And maybe you make a bad decision, right? You make a bad choice. You wonder if God will really have mercy on you. Maybe it's because of your personality. You just, you, you kind of are a melancholy type. You see all the bad in your life. It's hard for you to believe that God would really love you or accept you. Um, that's my personality type, so I understand that. Um, I've had this crisis of belief actually several times. I remember in high school, right? A lot of you had this experience. You mess up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You regret it, right? And you have a crisis of belief. I did. I wondered, would God, would God really forgive me? Would God really accept me? Then in college, I, I started, I guess, studying the Bible a little bit more and hearing more teaching about the Bible, and it was great. But at the same time, I started realizing, wow, like I am a lot bigger sinner than I thought I was. And again, I kind of came to this crisis of belief. Is God's mercy enough for me? And then, I mean, I can't tell you how much marriage and parenting brings us out. I mean, there's nothing like just daily life with, you know, with another sinner, my sin, her sin, kid's sin, and you just see, right, your need. You see your sin so... You're just exposed. And so again, I come to a crisis of belief, like, all right, I'm really ugly here, God. Are you, is your mercy really enough? So when we hit that crisis of belief, what does God say to you about his mercy? Well, he tries to convince you, tries to persuade you with a lot of, a lot of cool images. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but Psalm 103, 8 through 13 says this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Matter of fact, hold on for a second. Maybe there's some of you out there that are thinking about one specific thing. You can, you can actually bring to mind something that you know that right now, when it comes to being feeling accepted by God, feeling like God actually likes you, there's something in the way. There's something bothering you. There's some sin. There's some issue, right? I want you to think about that issue for a second. As you hear these words, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Listen to how God responds to that issue in your life. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What's God trying to say about his mercy here? Well, 
you take the, the imagery of as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, what he's trying to say is that his mercy is just like every other one of his qualities. It's infinite. God's God. Every one of his attributes is perfect. It can't be lessened. It can't be diminished, right? It's perfect. It's infinite. And so is his mercy. But still, right, that's still hard for us to believe sometimes. It's hard for us to get our minds around that. Is that really right? Because sometimes we do feel so unforgivable. We feel like we're out of the reach of God's mercy. We feel like, will God receive us? So God gives us real people with real big sin issues in the Bible to try to persuade us, all right? And one of the biggest ones he does that with is Paul. So the Apostle Paul in the Bible, Paul felt that way. Okay, if you've ever felt like I'm the biggest sin bucket in the room, Paul felt that way, all right? He persecuted and killed Christians, people, before he became a Christian himself. He wondered, can I rely on God's mercy? Is it big enough for me? Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You hear that? I'm the biggest sinner. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. So how did Paul handle his crisis of belief, wondering if God's mercy was big enough? Well, he remembered that that's exactly the reason Jesus had to come. He didn't come to help good people get better. No, he came to save, rescue, ruined sinners like us. And this verse shows us the way mercy works. Yes, our sin problem is great. Yes, we have to believe, like Paul, that we are huge sinners. But God's mercy is infinitely bigger than our sin. His patience is perfect. God actually says that's why he showed his mercy to Paul. To highlight the fact that I can save even this guy, right? That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to show off his mercy to the world. I can save even you. I can forgive even you. Isn't that awesome? So, and when we realize that God's mercy is like that, that God's mercy is strong, we realize that we can venture out on it, right? We don't have to stand kind of at the edge of the frozen lake, wonder if we can step on it or not, right? Wondering if it will hold us. No, we can run out on it, slide out on it, right? We can skate out on it, right? We can trust it's going to hold us. We begin to venture out on God and trust his mercy. Now, when I was... Um, when I was little, one of my favorite things to do was go to my grandparents' house every summer. I used to stay in my grandparents' house for like four weeks every summer. And um, one of the reasons I loved it so much was, for one thing, my grandmother was an incredible cook. She always made fried chicken for me. I'm from the South, by the way. Uh, I love fried chicken, especially my grandmother's. And uh, she would make, she'd always ask me, you know, what do you want, Kermit? And I would say, I want a T-bone steak. Oh, sure, I'll make you a T-bone steak. I'll make you a cake. She was awesome. So, great Southern hospitality. Um, but also, one of the things I loved about going to my grandmother's house was she would, she would always take me to the toy store to get stuff, to get a toy, some special something while I was there, right? So, and that was great. So, one day, though, I realized that my grandmother had a thing called a checkbook. And I thought, man, this is awesome. Checks? So, you just go up there and write an amount on this piece of paper and hand it to them and they give you stuff? Like, that's the way checks work, right? That's pretty awesome. So 
yeah. So I was like, you know, you've got this checkbook. So I started, like, asking for bigger stuff, right? Because you, you can get anything you want with a checkbook. Of course, I was disappointed later to find out checks don't work that way. But, um, but yeah, but, but while I thought that my granny had infinite resources, I was not afraid to ask for things, right? That's the point. And just like that, God's mercy is big enough. We wonder, can we rely on it? Is it big enough for me? But see, God says it's infinite, so we don't have to be afraid to ask for it, to rely on it for all that we need. You know, it didn't work with my granny's checks, but it will work with God. Because his mercy is big enough to handle our biggest mistakes, to handle our deepest, darkest sins. Because God's bank account is infinite. So how do we, just kind of in closing, how do we receive God's mercy? It's really easy, and it's really hard. And what I mean by that is, Jesus told a story about it. He told a story about two men that went into a temple to pray to God, and one man was kind of all about himself and his own righteousness, and you know, thanked God that he wasn't like other people, he wasn't bad like other people. And then another guy went in, and it says that he just threw himself on his knees and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Really easy, but really hard, right? Really easy because anyone can do that, and yet not everyone will. Not everyone wants to admit we really need God's grace that much. It's hard for us to admit. It's hard for me to admit. And yet that's what God says he wants us to do. That's what he wants for us. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you ever come to that point in your life where you've been able to say that? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. Um, communion is a picture to us of, of God's mercy, it, really in two ways. In one way, it shows us how much we need Jesus, right? It shows us how much we need God's mercy because after all, Jesus had to die for us to give us this great mercy of salvation, of forgiveness. On the other hand, it shows us the riches of God's mercy because he did die for us. And it was an infinite mercy. And it says that his mercy is rich. He paid that infinite cost. And so when we come to communion, what we're saying is we're saying, we're saying that we have personally experienced God's mercy, or at least that we want to. We want to give our lives to God. We want to experience his mercy. We're saying that we need it, that we're sinners. And we're saying, God, I reach out for it. I call out for it, and I ask you for it. Um, so if that's you tonight, we invite you to come and, and have communion with us tonight. It's kind of a special time, end of this series. you know. So if that's you, we invite you to come. Maybe... Maybe that's not you yet. Maybe you're still thinking about these things, and that's great. So if that's you, if, if you're not sure you believe that, if you're not sure that's where you are, that's totally fine. We just invite you to, to sit, to, to sing, to meditate on, on God's mercy where you're at. Um, but maybe for some of you, God's been working in your heart. And it's kind of maybe it's been a slow process, or maybe it's been something kind of drastic. And maybe all of a sudden, you're kind of at a point where you're saying, yeah, I do believe that. I really want that. I really need God's mercy. So if that's you, God calls you to come. 
Come, receive his mercy. That's a decision you make, to come and receive his mercy. And God invites you to do that.